Hey, it's great to see everybody. Uh, thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, whether it's uh, pages or digital, just go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, as we are going to finish up our series. And you know, this series is kind of cool what God's doing. Um, a lot of you may have heard Danette pray about what's going on in Kentucky. And if you haven't been on social media, you're just totally disconnected from the, what's going on in Christianity and in our nation. There's revival that's broken out um, in Asbury um, University in Wilmore, Kentucky, and it's spread to a couple other college campuses. And, you know, what we've been talking about here at Canaan really for the last couple of years is what does it look like, right, when God's people, his church is truly revived? What does it mean to be revived? What are those, what are those rhythms? That's what this whole series has been on is what does it look like when we are revived people? And, you know, I think it's very, definitely worth saying this up front is that we can try to go through and manufacture these rhythms to try to look like we're full of Christ and full of the Spirit of God. But when you're truly filled with the Spirit of God, you're truly living your life filled with the Spirit, this is what, these are the rhythms you're going to have. Does that make sense? So the, the purpose of this series is not to try to get you to do these things in order to attain something, right? We're trying to just be, we encourage you just to be with Jesus, just to experience him and power and his presence. And as you spend time with him daily in his word, as as we gather like this to sing these songs of worship to him and about him, as we open up the word, as we gather in connection groups, you know, as you gather around the kitchen table as a family and just, just be with Jesus, you know, read the scripture together, talk to the Lord, talk to each other about the Lord, because as we are just with Jesus, these things begin to come out of our life, right? And these are those rhythms we've looked at. And so we've been through this, we started this series through 1 Corinthians, and this is the first of several series that will take us through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And this we've looked at just what does a revived person, revived people look like? And we've looked at core values and like we looked at relational evangelism, how Paul just showed up in Corinth and began to, you know, just make friends with this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, leads them to Jesus. We looked at devoted fellowship as our second core value here. And, you know, as Paul was preaching the gospel in town, he was getting a lot of pushback. But, but the church, the people there that were believers had his back and they really devoted to each other. We looked at the third core value, biblically driven teaching. How everything's got to be about and from the Word of God. Now, the Spirit of God will never do anything disconnected from the Word of God. And so to, to, to know the Word of God and to know the Spirit of God is to know God. And so they're in, in absolute unity with one another. We looked at authentic worship. We talked, to, I did a whole session on that. And that's not just what we do on Sunday morning. It's how we live our life in an attitude, a life of worship. We looked at spirit-led prayer. Not just praying what I want in the flesh, but praying according to what the God wills. They're praying according to the, to the Spirit's leadership in my prayer life. And then we looked at intentional discipleship last week. Well, that's as a church family. What are these rhythms? We have 10 of them, 10 rhythms. They're on a bookmark. You can get it at a vision wall out just right out that door right there. And you can just keep that with you. What are these 10 rhythms? that a revived person does, you know, as we, as you've read, how many of you have read a little bit about what's going on in Asbury, just seen it on Facebook or whatever, right? A lot of, what, what's happening there, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, there's obviously always some people that question, and, and we're good, to, we got to analyze things, but what's going on there, every um, person I've talked to, I know and trust that it, it's real. And so what do you see? You see people with a rhythm of go, 
They want to go and tell people what's going on. They want to talk about the greatness of Jesus. We see that. We saw that with Paul. We see it with revived people. We see love. Everyone that's been there talks about just an outpouring of the love of God into people's hearts and and towards one another. We see uh, the rhythm of learn. want to grow in our faith, learn more about who Jesus is according to his word. There's been a lot of preaching there and testimony shared. We see the rhythm of grow. Growing in our faith as we learn more about the word of God, we grow closer to Jesus. We grow in our maturity. We, rhythm of worship, again, every day, the rhythm of worship, obeying Jesus, honoring him, adoring him, thanking him, repenting, all that's acts of worship. And then we looked at the rhythm of prayer. We're to be a praying people. Not just people who love Jesus who pray occasionally, but prayer should be, our. we should breathe and we should pray. You know, it should be that synonymous with who we are in Christ. Then rhythm seven is invest, being intentional. We looked at these two last week, invest and follow. Uh, Invest and follow as we are intentional in pouring into other people about Jesus. We're going to wrap all this up today, this series. Uh, Next week is missions. This is all missions week starting tomorrow and a lot of great stuff going on. Next Sunday, we're going to have have a very special service plan. You don't want to miss it. And then after that, we'll tackle 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. And our next series just starts first Sunday in March on sex, marriage, and singleness. And so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but um, So today we're going to finish this up. What does it look like to be revived? What does it look like to be on fire of the Spirit of Christ? And today we're looking at this concept of giving. So big thought today. It says followers of Jesus, how we see ourselves directly impacts how well we follow. Do we try to define ourselves or do we let what Jesus says about us define us? Because as we understand who, who we are, that changes how we live our life. And a revived person, a person who's filled with the Spirit of God, identifies as a follower of Jesus and that changes how we look. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start by just reading verses 1 through 5 and then we'll carry on the rest of the chapter. So if you could please stand in honor of this reading. Paul writes this. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not hereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so thankful to be gathered together in your midst, in your name, right here, right now. God, thank you for just how you work. You're always working. Thank you for that you never leave us. You never forsake us. And God, we're just humbled to be in your presence here this morning. I just pray, Lord, you would accomplish your purpose in all of our lives this morning. Uh, As we unpack your word, that you would just plant it deeply in our hearts and minds. And through your spirit, just give us understanding, give us application. But God, help us just to encounter you uh, this morning in a powerful corporate and personal way. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So, 
just to unpack this here, Paul really uses two things that really identify that he identifies himself as, as a follower of Jesus, as a spirit filled man of God. What are those two things? Well, the first he identifies as a servant, true followers of Jesus identify as a servant. I know you've heard that before, right? We're supposed to serve Jesus. We're supposed to be servants of Jesus. We also know that it's not popular, not pleasant to be referred to as a servant, right? But we know in Christ supposed to have a servant's heart. Well, how do you know if you have a servant's heart? Well, it's a, it's a growing process, right? And all of us struggle with this at some level. But if you really want to know if you have a servant's heart, how do you respond when you're treated like a servant? Right? That's no fun. But that's really where it kind of comes out. But let's, let's look at what... Paul talks about here because this is actually a, a, a different word. Normally, the word servant is the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. Normally, that word is translated servant or minister. A couple of times, it's translated deacon. That's the word that's usually used, but that's not the word that's used here. Another word sometimes used is doulos, which means slave. That's also not the word used here. It's a very different word that Paul uses here. And the word here literally means an under rowers. Two words put together. Um, and it means to, to be one of the, the guys that rows the big ship underneath uh, the, the, the surface, the level, right? Where you're down under in the hull and you're just rowing it along. You're following the command of the, the coxswain right there who says, you know, he gives the rhythm. Everybody rows in rhythm. And if you've watched this, if you ever watched uh, the sport of um, rowing, what's that called? It's crew. If you watch crew, you know, they're, they have to row in rhythm. What happens if one oarsman, or one oarswoman, I guess, gets out of rhythm? It's a mess. You slow down, you get off course, throws everything off. So it's really interesting as we're talking about rhythms in this series, and before we've talked about our core values in these rhythms in terms of cadence, everybody staying in step with the Spirit of God, it's really interesting that Paul used this term. It's the importance not only serving, but serving in sync with the Spirit of God and with everyone else who's serving as well. They were all going the same direction, right? And so Paul said, look, you should regard us. Paul's talking about the, himself, the leaders of the church, but really everybody. We should be regarded as servants working together, right, for Christ. And so interesting concept. That's how he uses. So let's look at this. Let's look at a few things here about a servant. We see, first of all, that a servant follows God's will, not his or her own will. That seems pretty intuitive, but when it comes to practicality, this is something we are terrible at right? We're terrible at this. We're terrible at following someone else's plan. We want to follow our own plan, but this is at the very heart of what it is to be a servant. Have you ever done something that you know God's called you to do that you absolutely did not want to do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if that's the exception in your life, then we got rooms to grow. This should be a standard of how a servant of Jesus lives. I mean, look at some things Jesus says here. Jesus said himself, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gives his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus modeled this. The night before he's crucified, Luke captures this, right? The night in the garden, he's praying and Jesus is facing the cross. He's facing his public 
horrific execution, capital punishment the next day. I mean, what made it even harder for Jesus is Jesus knows all things, right? Sometimes if we think we're going to have a bad day the next day, there's still an element of the unknown. We don't know exactly what to expect. Well, Jesus, that wasn't true. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew every second that was going to take place that next horrific morning. As he goes to this garden of Gethsemane the night before on Thursday night, and he prays. And as he's praying and he's contemplating, thinking about what he's about to go through, we have this incredible captured moment between him and the Father. He says, Father, if you are willing, let me me paraphrase, please, please remove this cup from me. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go through the pain and the agony. He doesn't want to be flogged with 39 lashes of the cat of nine tails. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be interrogated by multiple courts from you know, the high priest and then from Pontius Pilate, the governor, and from Herod, the puppet king. He doesn't want to go before all those people bloody and half naked. and He doesn't want to have the crown of thorns placed on his head. He doesn't want the people he's created, the people he loves, the people he's doing this for to spit on him and to mock him and to laugh at him, make fun of him. He doesn't want his own mother watch all this happen he doesn't want his his best friends in the world the disciples to be terrified and run for the lives all except john and peter kind of follows but he's also at a distance he doesn't want his friend peter to be faced with such hard circumstances where he felt like he has to deny jesus and he does so three times he doesn't want that he doesn't want to be laid on the cross as the iron spikes are driven through his wrists and his feet He doesn't want to be erected up in front of the world to see as the naked, embarrassed, shamed Savior. He doesn't want that. He knows every second what's going to happen. And then something we can't even fathom, it's mystery. That moment where he quotes Psalm 22, 1, where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't want to go through that. Sometimes we... We don't want to go next door and talk to our neighbors about Jesus. We don't want to have those awkward conversations. It's just not about us, is it? I know we do this a lot. Just remind your neighbor, it's not about you. (laughs) It's not about you. You don't want to to give some of your hard-earned money to, to support missions, people you've never met. But it's not about you. And you know what? We're going to look at later. It's not, it's not even your money, right? Not my will, yours be done. He took all of, all of that anxiety, all of that alertness of what was about to happen. He says, Father, if you say go, I'm going. Hebrews 12 tells us that fix, for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he do it? One was for the Father, but also because he loves us. Amen? For you and for me. So how do we do this? As a servant of Jesus, how do we know what God wants us to do? Obviously, he reveals it through his word, but I learned this from this guy right here. George Mueller. Anybody heard of George Mueller before? A few people? <coughs> Good looking fella, huh? 
George Mueller lived in the 1700s in Europe, and he uh, claimed to fame as he ran an orphanage, started it, ran it, and um, was really poor God, didn't have resources to do this. Everything he did was by prayer. They didn't have food. He wouldn't go asking for money. He didn't go ask for donations. In fact, according to his biography and others that have written biographies on him, he never asked anybody for a dime for the orphanage. They would just pray. One story is him and the, the boys around the table, about 20-something boys around the, di- the dining room table. They're in the orphanage, and they didn't have a single crumb in the whole place. They said, well, boys, let's pray. So they prayed. And as soon as they said amen, there was this knock at the door. Thank you, Ken. And at the door was this old farmer who had a whole wagon full of food for the orphanage. He prayed. Well, George Mueller, after living a life like that, kind of shares how he discerns the will of God. How does he do this? So here's kind of what he says. He says, the first thing, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually only just a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. You hear the biggest problem. The biggest problem in you and I knowing what God's will for our life is, what's the biggest problem? We are, right? Because we have these wants, we have these ambitions, we have these ideas, we have these even dreams, right? When we don't surrender those to God, we get into this dilemma where we're constantly in conflict between my will and the Father's will. And so his point is well taken. A servant of Jesus serves the master, not himself. <clears throat> then he says, number two, having done this, meaning conquered his own will, made it sub- completely subservient to the will of God, I don't lead the result to the feeling of simple impressions. It's not just about what I feel. Because if I do that, I make myself liable to great delusions. Third, he says, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, he will do it according to the Scriptures and never, just say never, never contrary to the Scriptures. Fourth, it says, next I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will and his connection to his word and spirit. And fifth, I ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me outright. My language, God hit me over the head with it, right? And then lastly, thus through prayer to God, the study of the word and reflection, I come to deliberate judgment according to the best way, the best of my ability and knowledge. And if my mind is still at peace, and continue so after two or three more days of petitions, I proceed accordingly. So, he's all about what is God's will, not my will. 
So as a follower of Jesus, for us, what does it look like to be a revived person on fire of the Spirit of God? Because we're not about ourselves. We're not about our own will. We're not about what we want. We're about what God's called us to do. And if we're not finding that there's a conflict much, that should raise a flag. Maybe I'm not truly seeking God's will because our self-centered will will often come into conflict with God's perfectly good will, right? We're to grow in that. So, a servant. Secondly, a servant considers his or her shape. And um, I'm going to talk about this briefly. This is something we do here quite a bit here at Canaan is we talk about shape. And that's God's created each of you very uniquely. There's not another you in the history of the world, nor will there ever will be, praise God, right? Yep, you are so unique. And the psalmist talks about in Psalm 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knit you together in the inward parts of your mother's womb. And so we, we look at this, we take this into account, we talk about ministry here at Canaan, and how do, we, how do I serve Jesus? Well, look at how he's made you. You know, God doesn't want to keep what he wants you to do a secret, right? He makes it plain. And so um, he makes it plain through you discovering his will and looking at how he's wired you. And so the shape, um, S, uh, I said shape, that should be spiritual gifts. That's a typo. S is spiritual gifts. H is heart. A is ability. P is personality. D is experiences. That's part of your shape. And so your spiritual gifts, the moment you're saved, he fills you with the spirit. And um, with that comes innate gifts like teaching or knowledge or mercy or helps there's just a whole list of them a at your heart your passions all of your passion about something how does god want you to leverage those passions for his glory that's what a revived person does a is your natural abilities carpentry skills musical skills all those things artistic ability administrative skills personality all of you have a personality congratulations e experiences what are those experiences you've had what are the good experiences? what are the hard things you've gone through we're convinced that biblically and experientially that God never wastes a hurt. The hard things you've been through in life, God can use that in you and through you to minister to someone else who goes through the same thing in a way that others can't because they can't empathize with that plight. So look at how God has shaped you. So that's a, that's a core value here is actually is shape-based ministry. We just don't want people to plug a hole because there's a vacancy or a need. We want you to serve in a way that honors the Lord and fits who you are. So we've done this, I think, years, several years ago we did this, but just everybody, if you have a pen and a piece of paper handy, just sign your name like you normally do. Just sign it. Go ahead, just whip it out. Good old signature, John Hancock, Daniel Carr, whatever, right? Don't sign Daniel Carr because that's, that's me. You know what I mean. Now, do it again, because this time use your other hand. Use your opposite hand. Go ahead, go ahead. Your right hand, how many, how many left-handers we have? How many southpaws? Raise your hand, yeah. <clears throat> you know what's funny is some southpaws didn't raise their left hand, they raised their right hand, that's funny. <laughs> Normally you'll raise your strong hand, but anyway. Yeah, go ahead and sign your name with your, your opposite hand. Now what did you find there, right? Probably you found this. It was a lot harder to do. It took you longer to do it. And it doesn't look anywhere close to, like it should, Right? That's what happens when we try to serve in areas we're not shaped for. It takes us a lot more time to do it. It's a lot harder, and we usually don't do a very good job anyway, right? Because God has created you uniquely. So we want to help you find your shape. It's a process we do. If you've been through a first step class, you've taken the shape profile, but that just helps us to do our shape-based 
ministry. Because letter C, we want all of us to end with this. We want us to be obedient to doing what God's called us to do. We want to be obedient to the will of God. Because at the end of that is a commendation, right? That's what Paul says here. It says each one will receive his commendation from God. We want all of you, as your pastor, I want you to, when you pass away, when you graduate from this life, be with Jesus, and you go before God, we want you, all of you, to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? That means denying yourself and following the will of God. And that's where revival is so powerful. Revival is something we can manufacture. God just does it. So he grabs our heart in a way that we want to be obedient to him. We want to follow him. We, we've ex- we experience his love, his goodness, his grace, and we can't help but do whatever he wants us to do. That's where life radically changes and shifts. Well, that's the rhythm. Serve. Serve. Serve Jesus. Now, we don't serve him in order to gain his pleasure. We serve him because we love him and he loves us, and we already have his pleasure. Second, identity is a steward. Verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. The word for steward here literally is a household manager. It's what the word means. A household manager. And here, what are we called a steward? We steward the gospel, the, the mystery. The mystery here that he's talking to isn't whether Adam and Eve had a belly button. Although that's a great mystery. You know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, that's not the mystery that Paul's talking about. The mystery that Paul's talking about is the gospel. It's the mystery of the gospel. It's because it was veiled, it was hidden in generations past. He says, he says this in, in the book of Colossians. Chapter 2, he says, that the hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach the riches of the full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And what's the mystery? Which is Christ. That Jesus is the, the answer. He is the solution. He is the Messiah. And he is God in the flesh. How was God going to do this? How was God going to keep his covenant with Abraham, with Moses, with the people in the Old Testament? How was God going to bring about the salvation of not just the Jewish people, but of all humanity, and not just humanity, but how was God going to save the entire creation? How was he going to do that? That was the mystery. The mystery was unveiled, was revealed through the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, that God himself is the answer. So that's the mystery. That's what we're to steward. We're to steward the gospel. We're to steward this incredible message of Jesus Christ to do everything we can. And how are we to do that? By letter B, being faithful. A steward must be faithful. This is what Paul says. (laughs) Verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, which makes sense. You hired a manager, someone to come in and manage your affairs, Back in New Testament times, a household manager was someone usually hired by the family to come in and manage the affairs of the family, help raise the kids, sometimes tutor the kids, make sure they get to where they're supposed to go, take care of some of the business matters, some of the financial issues of family life. That's what you hired the steward to do. And if your steward wasn't being faithful, what would you usually do? You'd fire him or her, right? Let them go because they're not being faithful. 
so in order to be a successful steward, which was a pretty common career back in biblical times, you had to be faithful. How much more so in the kingdom of God, stewarding not just one family affairs, but stewarding the best message in the history of humanity, the message of the gospel. So how do we do that? How are we to be faithful? First, faithful to our audience of one. So this is what Paul talks about, this whole judging myself and judging others. Paul's concern is only what God says about Paul, right? I mean, all of us have at some level this desire to please other people, but God says, please live, live in a way to honor me. Serve your audience of one. The whole issue here is to serve Jesus. And why is that? Why do, we, why do we do this? The issue of judging here, we see verse 9, if we read on. Verse 9 says, um, look, already, well, verse 8 says, you already have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you have become kings. And, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. So Paul is saying, look, we've endured some tough things. People make fun of us. They laugh at us. But it's okay. Because we only care about what God thinks of us. We only care about what God says. We live to serve an audience of one. Verse 10, he he goes on there. And he says, um, we are fools for Christ's sake. You are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor. We in disrepute. So he's suffering all these things because of Jesus. In verse 11 through 13, he carries this even further. We present, we are, to, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When we persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul acknowledges that according to the world's standards of things, they were, they were not with it. They were pretty low in the whole social order. They were scum. They were refuse. That's nasty trash, right? You want to know what refuse is. That's why they say, but that's okay. We only care about our audience of one. That's a servant, and that's a steward. Why? Why do, why do they do it then? Because the steward deeply loves and adores the master. That's huge. This isn't just a work relationship. This is a loving, adoring relationship between the servant and the master. Charles Spurgeon once said this, is keep in perpetual fellowship with Jesus, and thus you can be with him and yet be serving him at the same time. That's huge. Notice what he says here. He doesn't say, serve him all the time so that you can be in perpetual fellowship with him. He says, be with Jesus. That's why being with him is so important. Daily time in the word, daily time in fellowship with, with the spirit of God. Be with him. And then as you're perpetually in that fellowship with him, you can also serve him more effectively and powerfully. George Mueller, the same guy we just looked at his picture a minute ago, he says this, is never come out of your chamber in the morning until everything is right between you and God. He knows it's the key to being a faithful steward, to serving your audience of one. 
Second thing about stewards, faithful as managers, not as owners. Understanding that significant difference, that we are not owners. Verse 7, he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So everything we have is because God gave it to us, right? We're not owners, we're managers. And we don't, you know, create our ownership. God blesses us. And you say, well, yeah, but I'll work hard. Absolutely. Why do you work hard? Not because it's yours, because God gives it to you, right? How are you able to work hard? Because God gives you the ability. How did you get the skill you had? Yeah, you learned it, but God gave you the, the faculties to be able to learn it. Some of you are very athletic. Some of you are very non-athletic, right? Some of you are very musical. Some of you aren't, right? Some of you are great with your hands. Some of us are terrible with our hands, right? God's given you these gifts, these abilities, because he wants you to do something with them to bless you. But we are not owners, I love the, C.S. Lewis writes this kind of allegory called the screw tape letters. And then it's where a master demon is teaching a brand new demon how to trip up God's people. And one of his teaching points is, we're always to try to get believers to think that they are owners. Because when they understand that they're just managers of God's resources, they change the world. Really powerful thought. Number three, a steward must be faithful in serving and stewarding God's people. Hmm. So right here, Paul is thinking about the church in Corinth. You know, and every time Paul leaves, he takes some people with him. He took Priscilla and Aquila with him to go plant the church in Ephesus once he leaves Corinth. Later on, he sends Priscilla and Aquila to go start a church in Rome. Paul's great at stewarding, managing the people of God to do the things of God. We've got to understand that we're called to be givers. And yes, that includes our money and our tithes and offerings, but it also includes to give of ourselves and to give of each other. That's a rhythm. Rhythm number 10 is to give. Understand it's all God's. But here's a church, you know, we're, we have a, a big vote this afternoon at 4 o'clock on adopting a new structure, and that's to facilitate us becoming multi-campus. As we contemplate other campuses here very soon, we might encourage some of you to go to these other campuses and help them thrive because they're still part of Canaan Baptist Church, but to send people, to give our people, right? Some of you have asked that question. Well, is that going to weaken us here? It's not about us. Just say it with me. It's not about us. We all belong to God. You know, this is not my church. This is not our church. This is God's church. Amen? And does God have the right to send his people where he wants them to go? Absolutely. So let's not just send. Let's send, let's send the best we got, right? You can't outgive God. If we're faithful to steward the people of God, guess what God's going to do? He's going to bring more in to accomplish what we need as we honor him, as we trust him, as we follow him. We can't outgive him. Can't outgive him. In fact, in Scripture, he says, he who is faithful with a little will be given what? Much. That includes faithful with God's people, right? So if you feel, as we get ready to launch the Groves campus or 
if it happens, to launch the Windsor campus, right? And if God's nudging you, that is great. Don't hesitate to say, you know what, God, can you pray with me about that? Absolutely. Because this is God's church. This isn't Daniel's church, not your church. It's God's. Isn't it great just to be a part of it? Amen? Go along for the ride. But we're to be givers. Let's let them receive. A steward does not have the power. The power comes from the master. He says here at the end of chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And that power we know comes from the Lord. Comes from the Lord. So we want God's power to be on display in us and through us. Is that what happens when people are revived and walking in the spirit of God? So as we get ready to close this out, ask the question, how are you doing with Jesus? You know, earlier Danette prayed, is there sin in your life? Are you... As a servant of Jesus, are you holding on to your own will in things? Are you still seeking out things that satisfy your flesh, but you know is not part of God's will for you? It's a great time to lay that down at the cross. Jesus, say, Father, forgive me. There are things that you're harboring and holding on to that you want to do because you want it, instead of trusting God and letting it go, laying it aside. Is your... Part of your sin and your own self-will is that causing relationship problems? If so, pray through that. Do what God's will for you is, not your own. The Bible calls this process repentance. It means turning away from following what I want and instead pursuing Jesus. It's a real deal. It's not something that just happens one time when you trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. It's supposed to be ongoing, Right? It'll be ongoing. And that's a big part of what happens in the revival is there's genuine brokenness over our sin and there's repentance. It's all wrapped up in the self-will versus following God's will. How are you doing with that? Serving. What ministry maybe is God calling you to that you're not serving in already? You're being with Jesus and he's leading you. Where is he leading you? What's your shape? What's, what are you good at that you could leverage for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God? And then giving. How does God want you to be more generous this year in giving to his kingdom? Not just financially, but of your time, of your heart, of your devotion, of your affections. Because God wants all of us. He deserves all of us and so much more. But will you simply let the spirit of God this morning lead you to trust him more, lead you to maybe repent, lead you to deny yourself and embrace his will. And maybe for some, that's the very first time. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this morning is that moment for you. But let the Spirit of God lead you and guide you according to his word we just talked about for his glory. Let's stand and let's pray. Master prayer counselors, as we pray to come on down and prepare for the response. Lord Jesus, this is your time. We give it to you, Father. Lord, I just pray that we'd be very just transparent, very authentic before you. Because God, I know that all of us are here for a reason today. We're not just here randomly or accidentally. God, you're always pursuing us. You're always working that work is to make us more like you, Jesus. 
So God, I just pray that right now, no matter why we thought we came or regardless of what's going on in our life right now, no matter what we did yesterday or last week, that God, right here, right now, we would just simply open ourselves to you spirit for you to lead us for you to convict us for you to challenge us for you to break us God if we've been rebellious and just all about me all about what I want to God you would just break us of that to be truly open to ask that question God what do you, what do you want from me what do you want me to do God, just find a softness in our heart that responds to you with, Lord, whatever you tell us, our answer is yes. If it's to right now cry out to you, Jesus, to save us, our answer is yes. If it's to repent of that pornography or repent of that idleness or repent of that apathy, then the answer is yes. If it's to truly seek you about going to a different campus, then Lord, the answer is yes. If it's to, to give more financially, Lord, the answer is yes. If it's to become a part of this church family today, then Lord, the answer is yes. If it's to see how I can plug into a ministry that I know you've called me to, then Lord, the answer today is yes. Lord, if it's to ask my husband or wife for forgiveness for being a jerk, then Lord, the answer is yes. Lord, if it's to ask my parents for forgiveness for being rebellious and not honoring them, then Lord, the answer is yes. Lord, if I've gossiped about someone and I need to ask them to forgive me, Lord, the answer is yes. Here in this moment, Lord, empower us to put our yes on the table, to do your will, not our own, for your glory's sake.